0: Welcome to eavesdropping at the movies, everybody. I'm Jose. I'm Mike. And today we're going to talk about Steve Soderbergh's new film called Unsane.
1: Yeah. So we, we've just we've had we've had, we've watched three movies in a row today. We saw Ready Player One, and then we saw Isle of Dogs, and now we've seen Unsane Yes. Late at night. Um. Which I forgot I knew anything about because. Um, I knew I'd seen people talking about it a little bit, and obviously the title is, uh, you know, idiosyncratic. It's not insane, it's unsane. Um, so I kind of recognised it. But it was only when I got into it that I realised, oh yes, this is the thing. I saw the trailer for the Soderbergh film about the girl who is not meant to be in a mental institution, but she is, and then she kind of goes mental. Or she, well, she she gets in there and she sees that her stalker is working there. Yes. And from the trailer, you're going. Is he? Is he not? Is she Is she actually paranoid? Yes. So the trailer was very, very intriguing. The
0: trailer made it seem like a horror film with Claire Foy in which a central nightmare is that this person who's escaping for, from a stalker actually ends up being committed to an insane asylum where the stalker is her nurse. Yeah,
1: and, sh- and uh, the, the idea is that she shouldn't be in there. She's put in there by mistake. Yes. But then when she's in there... All of a sudden, she's not going to be able to convince people that she's not insane because her guy, her stalker appears to be there.
0: Yes. Well, actually, we the film is more interesting than that in a way, because it's not only that she's not meant to be insane. It's that this uh, hospital has a policy of um, uh, uh, cheating people on their insurance uh, by committing them when they don't need to be committed, then committing them against their will until their insurance runs out.
1: Right, yes, yeah, so that's his kind of under, uh, secondary sort of aspect to it. So we should say for, that's really the premise. Obviously, spoilers, mm. we'll be heavy on spoilers from now on. Um, so, yeah, there, there's this aspect of. Uh, she meets a character played by Jay Farrow in there, who I know as a, as an impressionist. I didn't know he was doing actually more serious acting. Right. And actually, he used to really annoy me. When I saw him as an Impressionist, and uh, I quite liked him in this. I thought he gave a good performance. He knows the lay of the land, and he slightly takes uh, Claire Foy uh, under his wing and explains that this is an insurance scam, that they will keep her in there until Medicaid or her insurance says, we're no longer going to pay for this, yes. and, then, they, and then, you, then you get out. Um, and also, he has a mobile phone, yes, which uh, she uses. It's important
0: mortgage. for the plot. Well, the, first, the, the whole beginning of the film is really interesting because you get the sense that it's a it's a very lonely career woman uh, who actually is very smart and, you know, is prey to sexual harassment. You get the sense of her boss kind of, you know, trying it on with her. Yeah. And her being very firm and prim and, you know, nonsensical. But also that she's very lonely and isolated. And then as the film unfolds, you realise the reason why she's lonely and isolated. It's because... She's basically moved across country to escape the stalker. So, in fact, she doesn't know anybody. So, really, that phone is a lifeline because, mm. you know... Um, but the, the beginning scenes are very well handled because you can see how quickly she gets entrapped, right? So, you know, the doctor says, sign this, it's just a boilerplate, and we need it, you know, to, to finish, you know, or to proceed with... Yeah, so she's the just gone to
1: see a psychologist or psychiatrist... For kind of, it's a it's a one t- it's a first uh, meeting, yeah. I guess. Because because then she says at the end, "Oh, could we meet again?" Like mm. I really like, I really, I think it's going to help good listener. me. Yeah, you're a good listener. And then when she signs this document it turns out that she's committed herself
0: that's right and then the, and then she meets and then an the attendant says just come this way it's policy and then the nurse says do this it's policy and before you know it she's in a 24-hour stay and then the 24-hour stay becomes a seven-day stay mm. so actually you know you get the feeling that like she could end up there forever really so you know and it's her-
1: crushing it and it re- you really feel the terror mm. of it you know there's really no way out of that you yes. i mean it's also that you really feel it's implicit, but you really feel the idea of a catch 22 in there where the more that you say you're sane, the less they'll believe you. Yes. But if you were to say, if you were to then kind of play insane, as it were, yes. you'd stay there.
0: Though actually, she was so on edge that you could understand also why they'd keep her. Like, you know, like she assaults two people in her first oh, yeah. night and it's a sense of frustration and so on, but nonetheless, yeah. right? Like, uh, And you've
1: also seen uh, from before she got to the hospital, uh, she had a, a slight episode where she thought she saw a stalker so yes. she she, you know with good reason she is paranoid yes um, which is not to say kind of to a mentally ill degree like I say yeah. she's got good reason to be paranoid she has a stalker
0: anyway But um, let's not do sight because I thought to me well on the one hand I was bored and I, and I don't think it's successful on the other hand it's kind of like a, a daring little experiment like it's got so many things that are interesting right like mm-hmm. You know, the shots, the compositions, you know, some of the ways that like, you know, when she's on drugs, the way that those things are depicted. That was a great little secret. Yeah. So actually, it reminds me a little bit of like those late 60s horror films that in some ways are not very well realized, but actually have wonderful moments. And, you know, you're kind of like riveted to them. You know, it is kind of, you know, one of those termite films that, (laughs) you know, it's true that are more interesting you so know, is the,
1: that an actual term or is that just? Yeah, no, it's a like, term.
0: It's a term. Um, yeah, it's termite cinema, and my mind isn't working very well. It's an American critic from the 1950s who defined the term and and defined it so as to describe how you know the real boundaries of art and cinema were often being pushed. You know, not by the grandiose, you know, big budget films, but actually by all the little B movies.
1: Manny Farber. Is Manny the, Farber. That's right. Emmanuel Manny Farber. Uh, Susan Sontag called him the liveliest, smartest, most original film critic uh, America's ever produced. Let me just see what what it says about um, termite
0: stuff. And he was the lover, I think, of uh, Robert De Niro's mother. That's a side gossip thing. (laughs) Who was an artist?
1: (laughs) White elephant art versus termite art. That's an essay that he wrote. Mm. It appeared in 1962 in Film Culture. In it, he writes on the virtues of termite art and the excesses of white elephant art and champions the bee film and underappreciated auteurs, which he felt were able, termite-like, to burrow into a topic. Loaded, pretentious white elephant art lacks the economy of expression found in the greatest works of termite art, according to Faber. Termite tapeworm fungus moss art, he contends, goes always forward, eating its own boundaries, and, like as not, leaves nothing in its path other than the signs of eager, industrious... Unkempt activity. Right. It's quite interesting.
0: Well I thought it's a term that applies very well to this film hmm. because you can see you can see in this film how it's a whole bunch of artists who just gather together and really it's kind of an experiment. It's a low budget film in which they're trying out very interesting things. It was shot on an iPhone. Was it shot on an iPhone?
1: Yeah, yeah, famously. Well I s quote unquote famously. It's one of the notable things about it. It was shot on an iPhone seven plus.
0: All right, okay. Well, that makes more sense because I was wondering why, you know, the, sh- the the shots looked weird. It was like, you know... Um, uh, there was wide-angle. It was very wide-angled. It looked sometimes like it was a fish-eyed lens, really.
1: I think once or twice it gets very close to fish Yeah.
0: Yet. And there were things where, like, you know, the characters' faces were almost at a normal distance but their hands would look enormous, yeah. right? Um, so that makes sense. Anyway, it has a, this weird kind of dislocated feel to it. It's very poorly lit, right? Uh, uh, and you mentioned... In there, this there's thing,
1: one scene in particular where uh, Claire Foy and Jay Farrow are talking and she is lit uh, and he is not at all, which I don't know if that's a limitation of the lighting or a limitation of the phone, but either way, it's just not...
0: It doesn't work. It's racist, really, you know, because you need to take into account skin colour, you can't always sideline... Uh, black people and kind of just turned them into a block you couldn't even distinguish his features yeah, you couldn't. know for for most of 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 the time he was on screen so you know that was a limit to that exercise um it looks really low budget but it looks mm. really interestingly experimental within that budget mm. uh, and so you know some things work better than others really um, i didn't like the look of it at all
1: no but I, well, it, uh, define like because i think the, i think the look of it suits it
0: I think in some ways it suits it, but um, you know it's inter- I didn't know that it was an iPhone film, mm. and you know now that you mention it, it kind of you know makes sense. It's an iPhone film, you know, probably using a lot of whatever lights available, uh, because a lot of it feels dark, right, mm. and kind of wide, yeah, like overly wide angled. Um, and you know with the texture of the image like not very good quality Mm. yeah it lacks kind of density and depth and you know my god if you you just think of uh, uh, the Wes Anderson film Wild Dogs yeah there was a pleasure just in the depth of the image right like you know whereas this seems very thin very grey or tender yeah like a kind of unsaturated or desaturated colour you know Um, you
1: kind of feel like whatever work could have been done to make the image more interesting beyond it's beyond what it came out the camera as has not really been done or hasn't yeah. it hasn't been improved to its best
0: uh, advantage. That's right. So I think for me, like what was interesting to see was there were some really interesting shots and some really interesting compositions, and it did lend it an air of like something abnormal, you know, or, claustrophobic. Or I would say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it gets into you you really feel Claire Foy's, uh, uh, paranoia and kind of increasing mania. She's great. And, and um, I mean through the cinematography, though. Ah. You know, that that kind of, as you say, that the, the, the very wide-angle stuff early on, before even you get into the uh, hospital, you know, it's, it's all this, um, as you say, wide-angle photography where depth uh, is, is, and size is really emphasised, and it feels very voyeuristic yes. as well. Um, and also, it's it's the first half of the film is is uh, full frame, mm. and that again increases the idea, it increases the feeling of claustrophobia, where you're kind of walled off, and it emphasizes uh, a, a vertical, emphasizes verticality in the scene. So you see ceilings all the time, and yes. you're constantly feeling penned in.
0: Yes, no, um, that's true. And also, a voyeuristic sense. You're often, you, you know, there's often like reframings within the frame with shutters and people looking on you Know through windows or you know, mm. uh, uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, little windows indoors, or yeah, so th- that sense of feeling penned in, of being watched, uh, or being stalked, yeah, yeah. But in kind of in this world, that's all like gray and thin and, yeah, uh, you know, and I, distorted, you know. Um,
1: I, I was, I was constantly kind of. Interested to see where the film would go. Hmm. I couldn't. I, I. didn't feel I could predict kind of what its next move would be. You know, like even when, for instance, the mother gets involved, you kind of go, okay, well, she's going to try and, uh, you know, get get her daughter out and sort it all out. But then even then, you kind of. I didn't feel I could predict exactly what would happen next. Um. So I was constantly interested in in where the plot would go, but on a kind of minute to minute basis, the film. Uh. Once you got into last but the hospital at least the film was very, very boring. I guess really, yes, not not exciting enough. I'm, I was bored. On, on the other hand, I, I and mean, I, to be fair, a few people left. Probably four people left yeah. um, in the cinema, which maybe it was just like they thought it was crap, or it was thought it was too boring, or it wasn't the kind of film they thought. Or it was or late, it
0: was. or whatever. Yeah.
1: Or yeah, I also it, it, it was a late screen, so maybe they thought it's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. On the other hand, I would say that if you have personal experience of mental illness mm. or, uh, or kind of, uh, psychiatric hospitals or having a stalker, uh, I think this film would really, really speak to you mm. and probably creep you out a lot more effectively than it did your your eye. Do uh, you think? I don't know. It, se- would- it seems to me a very convincing depiction of the issues that it
0: raises. Um... I w- I'm not convinced, right? Uh, I mean, I thought... I thought, well, As a kind of horror film that worked on me, mm. like, you know, I think I jumped out of my seat... You jumped t- a couple of times. A couple of times. Uh, so that's the thing. I mean, I, I have mixed feelings about this, because on the one hand, it's a neat experiment, and I love seeing all the compositions and, you know, kind of, that, that they were doing and the, type, the different types of shots, and all of that I love yeah it's kind of you th- you thought it was experimental. You, you they were trying something and it was it was interesting to see. on the other hand, it it scared me, you know, and on the other hand, I was bored. So those are almost like kind yeah. of competing, you know uh, uh, and contradictory uh, feelings, really. I'm not sure I would recommend it to to anyone. And actually, I think had I been watching it on my own on TV, I would have turned it off. I would have switched it off, hmm. even though. You know, there's all those things that I mentioned. Plus, I think a truly great central performance by Claire Foy. Yes. You know, I think she was absolutely terrific.
1: I think, uh, I say this kind of guardedly, but I think that um, I would recommend it to people who have experienced the kind of things that Claire Foy's character does on the basis that what her character is, amongst other things, is gaslit, right? She believes that something is happening and she's being ignored Mm. or being told it's not. Mm. Um, and that is that's something that happens particularly to women, an awful lot, uh, and it's it's one of the most disturbing things that can happen to you because you're you're literally being kind of lied to that your 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 reality or your experiences are not real. Mm. That's incredibly disturbing. And I think if if nothing else, what this film would do is uh, uh, what I think it is a very convincing and very expressive depiction of what that's like. To happen to you, mm-hmm. and 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 Claire Foy's um, performance conveys that, that kind of psychosis brilliantly, and, and the, the the mania of of being gaslit and being told that what you're experiencing is not not mm-hmm. real and not being believed. Um, and so I I think like if, if you if you've kind of gone through that or you think you might have gone through that, it's it's kind of like someone else. I get this. I wouldn't go I, with
0: this too far because, you know, if you're recommending people who have, you know, psychological... I'm not saying it's
1: like a cure. But- <laughs> no, no, but,
0: but if I'm saying... If you're if what you're saying is that people who've undergone this kind of psychological trauma, you know, might really kind of uh, enjoy what you're reliving no, it. No no, 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 no. That's exactly... No, no, no. no, no. That's what that's
1: why I mean I say it guardedly. I, I have no... It would probably be more traumatic. I, I, I don't mean that at all. But I do mean that, like... that. One thing that can be the one thing that could be beneficial if you've gone through that kind of trauma is to have someone else is to see something that suggests that someone else understands it, yes, and shares that experience and that you're not alone, yes. And this film isn't would be incredibly traumatic, but it also would say you're not alone, someone else gets this. Mm. Um, I think it's very, it is. It's its greatest success is that it expresses that very convincingly to me.
0: Let's let's look more at the faults. I hated uh, the um, the villain. I forget what the actor's name is. Now. Joshua something. Hold on. No. Uh, and I don't know why he was cast um, <laughs> because
1: he looks creepy with a beard and, and rapist glasses.
0: Well, he Joshua looked, Leonard. Joshua Leonard. I, I don't remember ever seeing him before, and he does definitely look creepy uh, and kind of you know slightly perverse with the glasses and the beard and so on but I, but I, you know I he's kinda... been
1: in uh, from what I can tell the only independent things he started with the Blair Witch Project
0: right well I just thought he wasn't good enough he was and one of the main ones and he's certainly not good enough opposite Claire Foy no he's not a good enough actor he's like a bit of a blank right?
1: particularly those scenes in the blue padded cell yes
0: um, where where they're
1: they're actually kind of having it out he's not good enough. he can't he can't hold up to her
0: yeah, so that was a big problem for me. Um, and then, you know, earlier on, when we were talking about... We were talking about The Isle of Dogs, and, you know, it's such a... I think it's such a marvelous film that we were trying to find fault with it. And one of the things that I was saying is that, you know, how the ending seemed too long because you everybody's narrative gets wrapped up. In this one, you know, kind of we barely get a sense of what happens to the protagonist, really.
1: Well, I, I mean, she's she's returned to the real world. The the hospital having been kind of found out for the the underhand shady shit that was going on there. Yeah. Um, she resumes her life. and you know, She, she that... does well in her job, but then she still she can't escape the trauma, the psychological trauma that of her stalker.
0: So yeah. So nothing is wrapped up in this one, really.
1: No, but it's that a fault for you? I mean, no, it's not a fault. I'm just kind of no, sure. You know, it's the thing. I mean, I think the ending
0: felt appropriate to me. It did. Um, Well, the ending for this felt much more appropriate than the ending for Isle of Dogs. (laughs) That's the kind of point I'm making, uh, really. (laughs) Come see, come see. But anyway, um, so as I said, I I have mixed feelings, really. And and I, I actually, I think I would recommend it to fans of Soderbergh. I've realized that, you know, in a very brief space of time, this man who keeps saying that he's retiring, <laughs> you know, I don't know how many films I've seen of his, actually, but, you know, more than any other filmmakers, I think, because, you know, there was the Magic Mike films, both of them. Then there was the Liberace film that I saw. Yeah, TV movie, but a film. The I saw it here at the cinema. Uh, then there was the film with the martial arts artist. Uh, then there was the film about a medical, with Jude Law, About a medical doctor. Then there was Logan very recently. Logan Lucky, Behind the Candelabra,
1: Side Effects.
0: Side Effects. Magic
1: Mike, Contagion. Contagion. That's going back the last ten years, so the informant and the girlfriend. No, just the the
0: last four or five years.
1: Well, if you go, say, since 2013. Yes. So 2013 was Side Effects and Behind the Candelabra. Okay, that's right. Um, Leave it a couple of years, you get Logan Lucky and Unsane the last couple of years. That's only four?
0: Only those four? Uh, If you want
1: to go back to Magic Mike, that's 2012. Okay, well... So, uh, but, I mean, the point is, over the last five or six years, he he's kept putting out
0: work. Almost a film a year. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. And the, I, and and the, the television series. The, the one this reminded me uh, the most of was Side Effects, which I think I had... I don't really remember, but I think I had a kind of a bad time. This reminded me of it insofar as... It, it, to me, it felt like kind of early 1990s... Uh erotic thriller sort of this kind of stuff you, although this is not erotic but mm. it's the kind of it reminded me of the kind of thriller you would get on channel five late at night sort of in 2002 do you know what I mean mm. it's reasonably cheap b-movie
0: psychological thriller stuff because of all of these movies that we've mentioned the only one that I really loved that I thought was really great um and I wanted to write on it and didn't have time was the Liberace film Behind the Behind The Candelabra. I couldn't
1: get through
0: that. I turned it off. Oh, I loved it. Um you know, and and I liked Magic Mike um mm. as well. Um but you know, I, Yeah, I liked it very much actually. No. So those two I liked. All the others have been like real misses really, like you think hey, there's always things you like in them. Yeah. But actually they're not fully realized. And actually I would put this film in that category. You know. It's kind of... It's an interesting try.
1: I mean, I, the last film of his that I would say I loved sort of the whole way through is... God, Ocean's Eleven, probably. I mean, everything since then I would say I've had problems with. Yes. Um, but, I mean, I, but, but on the other hand, like I will continue to see anything he makes because I think he's interesting. I think he's and interesting. And he's always trying to do something yeah. interesting.
0: Though... I don't know. I mean, I have mixed feelings, because in a way, I, I do think that. I do think he's always trying to do interesting things, like, you know, Logan was interesting and amiable and so on, and yet it felt like paper-thin, really. Like, mm. I can barely remember it now, you know. Um, so...
1: There sometimes seems to be an attitude with his films that, like, trying an experiment is enough. mm do you know what I mean like, yeah and
0: from the point of view of the audience it's just not enough no uh, do you remember um, uh, actually anybody without a Cineworld pass who goes to see this will be really disappointed
1: yeah they, you'd feel short changed wouldn't and you you would you want this to be more complete than it is I, I, the film that really springs to mind is actually for me this type is it, not a Steven Soderbergh film it's 127 hours the Danny Boyle film which oh, yeah. was not a bad film but, that, but the entire film felt like an experiment in how do you film a guy under a rock
0: And yet, I can remember uh, scenes and shots of that film. You know, I remember James Franco kind of, you know, being in the cave and, like, breaking his foot or something. Mm. Or his hand. I forget what it was. But, you know, you have, like, these images of the sunlight hitting the rock and him being trapped. Like, there are things that actually that film is much more successful at creating things that stay with you. Right, like with Logan, which was just released. Logan this Lucky. Logan Lucky, which was re- released this year, I think. Last year, yeah. within a year. Yeah, 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 Right, like all I remember is a kind of a shaggy amiableness, <laughs> you know. But I can't, I can't even, I can't remember more than yeah. a feeling, you know. So, so they that's don't not, stay with
1: you very much, do you they?
0: Well, not with me anyway. No, um, not
1: not with me. Either. The last one I would say that actually stayed with me is Magic Mike because I would watch those dance scenes over and over I thought they were fucking great. Yes. I, I, think, I think actually the plot of Magic Mike, the, 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 the character stuff, is pretty dull. But, the, but it's those centrepiece scenes that you, the, yes. what that film really is about. But like I said, the last film of, of his that the whole way through I thought was great and memorable was Ocean's Eleven. Yes. The other Ocean's films I like as well, but not as much.
0: I like them all. Actually, I think I saw them recently. You brought them up. I was watching them again recently. Okay. Yeah. And then because of you, I saw them again. And they're just such fun, mm. right? Like, and, and they're kind of glamorous and expensive-looking and sleek, you know. And and, and actually, it's, so in a way, it's like comfort food, but it is very comforting. Whereas actually this, you know, it's even the images lack calories. <laughs> you know, I, I am in love with this idea of Guillermo del Toro's, right, that kind of, you know, film, film is visual, it's audiovisual, you know, but the visual for him is the most important thing. Mm. And that, you know, that films have to offer protein for the eye, right? Mm. Um, and it's very interesting because in this film, there's a lot of attempts to create that. But I just think, I just think that a lot of those scenes are constructed because they look neat or different or unusual Right or look what you can capture. Look, look, look how you can film this film, this this room from this angle to look like that. Rather than this is this is filming it this way from this angle, etc. Is expressing X mm. right? Like I think the thought like there's too much of oh isn't this neat rather than how do we best express yeah. X right?
1: The one the one part of of this film which uh, which did achieve that uh, was. Uh, the scene we mentioned earlier, where she's she's been drugged um, by her stalker, uh, and in and she she enters a state of psychosis, and there's a shot of her from behind as she's kind of tearing around the room, breaking stuff yeah. and screaming. Uh, there's a shot that tracks her straight from behind her head, and and it's superimposed with a shot on her face.
0: Yeah, and so which only peaks periodically.
1: Well, yeah, they're kind of they half and half. Um, but you see the one from behind her more because you see the chairs and stuff yeah running around. But then you recognize her face because you you know you, you kind of so you see it in the back of her head, and you, and you can also see sort of the ceiling tiles. That's a great shot. It's just it's a brilliant little sequence.
0: I mean, there are lots of things like that that are very intriguing, actually, in this film. You know, and that's why I would recommend it to fans of Soderbergh because you can see how he's developing things and he's working with things and he's trying things out. And actually, there is a kind of a pleasure and I'm willing to lend my attention to artists just experimenting, you know. And I appreciated Matt Damon being there and, you know, and so on. I thought
1: he uh, unsettled the film just by being a famous guy. It's a cameo.
0: It's a cameo and actually it's a Matt Damon role in the cameo (laughs) and so on. But, but I did appreciate him lending his support to this, actually. Oh, sure. You know, um, and I, I I mean, it was a pleasure to see him. I, I think it, un- when you say it unsettled it, like the film did need a jolt, you know, because I, yeah, I looked at my watch like three times, you know, so <laughs> I appreciated him being in it.
1: Uh, fair enough. My perspective was it was something that took me out of the film rather than kind of energized it. Well, um, two different worlds.
0: You and I. <laughs> well, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. He didn't shoot this film, which I thought was interesting because he is famous for doing his own cinematography, mm. isn't he? I think this, so. Yeah. And this was done by someone else, and it was not good. No. My, my
1: well, I mean, was it the other guys? Let me see, let me look at the cinematographer. Because if it was like you know his first film or something, it was like. I don't know. He's a student being given a, a chance, wasn't he? Uh, cinematography. Oh, no. <laughs> cinematography uh, was by Steven Soderbergh as Peter Andrews. Oh, right, okay. So uh, pseudonymical.
0: Okay, well, that's interesting. So, anyway, it was not... I didn't like it. Uh, I it, didn't yeah, it like the way it was lit. No, so.
1: um, the lighting was not superb. Um,
0: um, and yet, obviously, he's a very knowledgeable... So, but it boggles the mind that this lighting was something that he chose to execute, right? Like, you know, because as we were talking about, those scenes with Claire Foy and what's the actor's name, I mean, it borders on the racist, really. So if Jay Farrow. Jay Farrow. So if he was satisfied with that lighting, he's got a problem. Yeah,
1: or maybe, like I say, maybe maybe he put it down to a limitation of the camera and thought, well, there we go. I mean, that's not, which is also kind of not, Excusable. Um, well, no, but because just, you know, I mean that in that in that one shot, you really could not see Jay Jay Ferris' features, and it felt very. Uh, and he was.
0: Unbalanced. I mean, you know, it was, it's a two-shot yeah. where both characters are important, mm-hmm. and you literally cannot see the features of one of them. I mean, that's terrible. Mm. So I don't care if it's fucking. No. <laughs> Steve Soderbergh, <laughs> lousy lighting. <Yeah. laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree
1: with you. Um, um, or, anyway. ma- or, or you know, bad casting.
0: I'm uh, joking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, a he was very good. Yeah, he was part. very good. Uh, uh, I believed him.
1: I, I, um, what do you think about the, the kind of? It it does get very kind of B movieish, doesn't it? With the sort of um, uh, conspiracy aspect to it, that the idea that the, the uncovering of the of the kind of criminal enterprise almost at the end. And the, and the idea he's that Jay Ferris's character was an undercover journalist who acts, who happened to lose his life when it gets to the point where the stalker has him tied up in the basement and then and then doses him with heroin, the film lost me for a bit there.
0: It did. Um, and actually I also thought I mean not to pursue this kind of racist thing too much. But let's say had, had that part been played by a name? Uh, ...white actor, they would have given him something more to do, right? He would have resisted, he would have rescued her, he would have, you know, you... Yeah, because that's actually almost like the third most important role in the film, right? Mm. You know, so there's a Clairefoy character, there's a stalker, and then I would argue yeah. that he and the mother are, you know, the... They other share
1: mo- a tier below. Yeah,
0: below. So, to... to Possibly... Be- To just bump him off like that.
1: Oh, to be fair, he bumps her off as well.
0: The mother. The mother, yeah. But the
1: mother has more, more... I'm not sure she does have more to do, really. She shows up. No, she she has
0: more. Because, I mean, not more in terms of lines, but more in terms of, you know, there's a whole uh, emotional scene with the the daughter and about getting in touch and being in touch and being able to help, right? And Mm. the thing that happened with the father and... You know, you get a whole yeah. There's a whole emotion thing, whereas he's just kind of
1: plot, really. A, a little bit, but it, he's also someone who he's a
0: plot function
1: uh, up to a point. But he's also she. She does feel she, a certain connection with him. She wants to see him again when they eventually get out, and he's a support mechanism for her. He's he's the only one in there who seems to understand her.
0: Okay, like you so know, is, I I get that up you to know, a point. They don't have the background. There's of being a nice and her but I just I also do think that if it was a white actor, you know, with a bit of a name, they would have given him more to do.
1: Uh maybe, maybe not. I mean I, his his role felt appropriate to me. He'd you know, um Well, I thought it was racist. But but but, <laughs> but what I was getting at more was was that um the film feels if a little uh kind of highly expressive, the film feels realistic. Um in terms of its depiction of sort of psychosis and, and the, the... Once you accept that the stalker has managed to get himself a job in the hospital to, to follow up, once he gets to the point where he's torturing and killing a guy, um, that's where it starts to get, like, so overwrought that I'm thinking that this is, this is no longer keeping me believing the reality of the film.
0: I mean, because yeah, on,
1: on the other hand, he's such a weed, this guy... Like, how does he capture him? How how, and and would he really have the kind of confidence? There's this whole thing towards the end of he's a virgin and um, and it's a very badly. Will he prove himself to to, by by raping someone else in front of her? It's
0: it's a very badly acted character, as you can tell, because Mm. you know, um, I mean, you know, Claire Foy brings such humor and intelligence and panic. You know, and resist Like, you know, she just does so much with his role that, you know, acting opposite him. Now, <laughs> you know, maybe if the same guy had been played by Woody Harrelson or something like that, with the same lines, it might have been a completely different thing.
1: Or Matt Damon.
0: He could have brought out the pervy... Matt Damon you know, could have done it. Joaquin could done Phoenix
1: it. could have done it. He could have gone straight from You Were Never Really Here into this with the same beard yes. and body. My
0: God, you know... <laughs> You can't even mention the the films in the same phrase. I know. Um, So my let's find let's end this really because. I would would give it
1: a guarded recommendation on the basis of it having certain qualities and certain a a certain kind of convincing portrayal of uh, paranoia and sort of psychosis.
0: I would recommend it to people who don't have to pay for it. So if you have a cinema world pass, go. If you're interested in Steve Soderbergh as a director, go. If you're interested in Claire Foy, it's truly a great performance. Go. If you don't fit into any of these categories, mm-hmm. you will feel very shortchanged.
1: Yeah, yeah. But in other words, of the, two, of the three films we've seen today, I would recommend it the least. I'd recommend it below...
0: Oh, no, me, I would recommend the Spielberg one the least. No, I'd recommend I'd... it
1: below Ready Player One. Ugh. You get more for your money with Ready Player One.
0: It's you get to... nothing out of Ready Player One.
1: Well, you didn't.
0: I didn't. I, I would choose this would be my second choice.
1: Okay. Well, you know, Reddipo want a better lighting. You can see the black people.
0: The image was very thin uh, uh, and very unsatisfying. And it's a dumb movie. This at least has intelligence. Some (laughs) some intelligence.
1: (laughs) I think it slips slightly into the nuttiness at points. Yeah. All right, so... But but um, of the three films, uh, see Isle of Dogs first.
0: Yes. (laughs) Uh, uh, So, uh, thank you very much. We are eavesdropping at the movies. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, Mm -hmm. and Twitter. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's end it here. Yeah.